Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, starting with verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm really glad that my parents named me Bob. I mean, I like the name Bob. It's really ordinary. Nobody ever stumbles over its pronunciation. You can spell it forward and backward. But it really is kind of nondescript, Bob. I mean, probably when I say Bob, you don't think personal characteristics, right? You got a lot of Bobs. It's kind of like John or Jack or Henry. As a matter of fact, the only way you would think that my particular name had a special meaning is if I gave you my whole name. If I said Robert E. Whitaker Jr., what would you think? Oh, he's named after his dad. And that would be true. But for the most part, our names don't really mean anything to other people. That wasn't always true. In ancient cultures, names names had deep meaning. Matter of fact, if you think of the name Jacob, it means heel grasper. How about that for a name? Or how about this one? One woman who was giving birth to her son at a particularly difficult time in Israel gave birth to her son, and as she died, she said to those delivering her child, name him Ichabod. First of all, I don't really like the way the name sounds, but she said, name him Ichabod, because it means the glory has departed. Seriously, would you like to walk around with that name the rest of your life? Maybe you got a name change at the county courthouse if they had one in Israel. I don't know. 
But most of the time when you walk up to someone, the first thing you do is introduce yourself and you use your name. And what's the next thing that's often asked of you? So, Bob, what do you do? I always hate that question because it gets a, um, an odd response most of the time. If I'm on an airplane, I introduce myself as Bob, and somebody says to me, so, Bob, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor, and they go, oh. And they don't talk to me anymore. Sometimes they're okay with it, but it's, it's not like saying some other vocation. I remember as a kid, I got on a plane. I, I wasn't very old. I was a teenager, sat next to an older gentleman. Of course, he was probably only 40, but he was old to me. And I, I sat next to him, and I introduced myself, and, you know, trying to be a good passenger, and asked him what his name was, and he asked me what my name was. And I said, so, I can't remember his name. Fred, what do you do? And he goes, oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And being impetuous as I was, I said, well, really what I meant was, what's your job? And he said, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I thought, okay, he didn't want to talk about himself. Who is this guy? Maybe he's a spy or something, you know? Uh, when you're young, somebody doesn't want to reveal their identity. He just didn't want to talk to me. He didn't want to tell me who he was. Just give me his name. When Jesus introduces us to a pattern of prayer, the first thing he says is name. He begins by saying, here's how you ought to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, there's many names for God, especially in the Old Testament. One of them is Elohim. It's the name used in the creation narrative, the creator of all things. Another one is El Elyon, interesting name. It means most high God. It means the God above all other gods. Another name for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah or Yahweh. That's the name that God used when Moses said, who is it that sends me? You're sending me, God. I got to tell him who's sending me. And he said, Yahweh, Jehovah, the I am that I am. The all-sufficient one. The one who exists in a self-sustaining way. And then there's Jehovah Jireh. That's a wonderful one. It means the God who provides. As a matter of fact, it's a phrase that Abraham uttered when he went up to the top of Mount Moriah and he thought he was going to sacrifice his son. He said, we'll be back because the Lord will provide the sacrifice. And then there's Adonai. Adonai. The Lord. The Master. The Sovereign One. You notice how all of those are big and grand and glorious and huge and almost out of reach? Jesus knows all those names are meaningful to the people he's speaking to. And then he says, here's how you ought to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your name is so awesome and so glorious. But we call you Father. He brings heaven and earth together with that one simple phrase. 
He tells us that we can approach our God like a heavenly Father. You know the word Father is almost never used concerning God in the Old Testament. Only 14 times is the word Father uttered in relationship to God. And never in all those 14 times is it in relationship to God in an intimate way through prayer. Jesus is the first one. Our Father, who art in heaven. The New Testament advances and helps us understand that concept even more. And when we get to Paul's epistle, we hear this word, Abba Father. You can address him as Abba Father. And what does it mean? It's like a child would say to his father, Daddy. An intimate term, says Paul. That's how you can address God. Jesus says, Our Father, Abba, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's above everything every name but we call you father he goes on in the next phrase and he says thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven what's going on in heaven according to the bible according to tradition everything is perfect everything is at peace everything is well ordered everything is the way it ought to be god our heavenly father Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth just like it is in heaven. Bring it down, God. Bring it down. Do you realize how much that is not about me and you? It's about God's kingdom. And Jesus is saying, it is not all about you. Before he tells you, you can ask. He says, it's not all about you. It's about the kingdom of God. And you have the honor and privilege of being a part of the kingdom of God and praying for it. So God, who is hallowed, who is my Father, please bring your kingdom down. Jesus doesn't say in this particular prayer how the kingdom comes down. But we know in Jesus' words how it plays out. It's the Beatitudes. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the life of you. There's where the kingdom of God comes down. When you and I follow Jesus, when we reproduce heaven on earth, when we are devoted Christ followers, His kingdom comes down. Father in heaven, Your name is glorious. Your kingdom is wonderful. Make it happen. Make it happen through me. Then He says... You also should pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Really? We've been way up in the stratosphere with a holy God. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, don't forget to ask for what you need. Be like a child. And say, Lord, give us our daily bread. Don't you love the way this prayer has a story associated with it at the end. Remember the story that's associated with it at the end? It's a man who has need of bread because someone has come to stay overnight in his house and he doesn't have any. And he's own home and he goes to a friend and he pounds on the door and he says, I got to have some bread. I got visitors. You don't turn visitors away in first century Palestine. That would just be awful to do. You don't tell him, I don't have any bread, I don't have a place to sleep. You find bread and you find him a place to sleep. And he realizes he's got him a place to sleep, but he doesn't have any bread. And he goes to his friend at midnight and pounds on the door. You know, people probably went to bed earlier back then. Yeah, 
I know you students, that would be nothing. Pound on your door at midnight, you still have three or four more hours of being awake. But for most people, midnight means you've been asleep for three or four hours. And his friend wakes up and says, are you kidding me? I can't get out of bed. By the way, bed meant that they were all kind of lying together on a mat. There's a way in which the man would have to get up and stumble over all his children and his wife to get to a door, to unlatch it, to find some bread, all of this in the dark. Are you kidding me? He says, it's midnight. I can't bring you any bread. But because the man persists, because he's a persistent friend, his friend finally says, okay, I'll do it. Jesus puts that in the context of this prayer. He says, ask for what you need. As a matter of fact, in contrast to another way of praying, he said, I don't want you babbling on like the pagans. What did that mean? There was a routine, a litany that the pagans would pray. They would have certain phrases, and they would say them over and over and over again, really fast until the really fastness you couldn't even understand, and you just kept mumbling it over and over again. Jesus said, stop it already. That's not the kind of prayer I'm asking for from you. I want you to pray to your Father, I want you to ask like you would ask a friend. I want you to ask just like you would be a child. Just say, God, I need help. You know how many times as an earthly father I have felt my back to the wall? I have worried about my family I've wondered about providing their needs. And how many times, innumerably, I have said, God, please help me now. Today, I need some daily bread. Jesus says, that's the way you're supposed to pray. I love the way certain theologians have put it. Augustine said, God gives to those where he finds empty hands. When you realize you've got nothing, that's when it's time to pray. That's when God gives. G.K. Chesterton, a wonderful Christian author, he had lots of quips and quotes, and if you know anything about Chesterton, he was a hilarious guy. He was a writer and a bit of a comic, and on one particular occasion, a woman speaking about prayer to him said, Mr. Chesterton, as I recall, it was kind of a correction of the way he was talking about God. He said, she said, Mr. Chesterton, I pray with very lofty phrases because I don't want to bother God with the little things. In other words, I'm not asking God for little stuff. That's beneath his dignity. Chesterton turned to her and he said, My dear madam, all things with God are little things. Are you kidding me, dear madam? Even the big things that we think are gigantic and huge, they're just tiny to God. So give it all to him because it's all small compared to God and his eternity. Then Jesus says, I want you to pray this way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This phrase up here has trespasses. You know where the word trespasses came from? You won't find it in the Bible. 
This is the most common form of the Lord's Prayer. It comes from the Book of Common Prayer, the Anglican Church in England. And those who were translating the Common Prayer said, how in the world are we going to do the best job we can with our current language to express two things, both sins and debts? And so they used the word trespasses. You may say to yourself, it doesn't work for me. I'd rather use sins. Go ahead. When we pray it together, it's better to use the word trespasses so we're all on the same page. But no matter. The point is this. Here's the point. We all have debts. We all have sins. We all have needs that place us in a position where somebody can demand something of us because we're not perfect. But we are forgiven. So Jesus says, I want you to forgive others the way I've forgiven you. Maybe Jesus in an effect is saying, you can't understand forgiveness unless you administer it. Or, put another way, if I've forgiven you and you don't forgive others, you have no idea what just happened. I forgave you. How can you not forgive others? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then the next phrase is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a curious phrase, isn't it? It's one that people have stumbled over for years. I mean, one of the reasons we stumble over it is because we know according to the character of God that God doesn't tempt, right? It's even said in the epistle of James. If you're tempted, don't say you're tempted by God. God doesn't do that. He doesn't want you to fall. It's Satan who tempts you, so don't get that mixed up. So why in the world would it say this? Deliver us from evil. Don't lead us into temptation. Does God really tempt us? No, he doesn't. On the other hand, there is a passage in the Scripture when Jesus was preparing himself for ministry that the Bible actually says the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted by Satan. That's an interesting phrase. How do you pull that together? Let, let me give you a quick explanation, okay? Very, very simple. I don't know. I don't know. It's a thorny one. But there's ways in which it makes sense. One person has said with a lot of words, Maybe we should translate it this way. Lord, let there be nothing in me that will force you to put me to the test to reveal what's in my heart. That's an interesting turn of phrase. I have another possibility. I haven't read it anywhere. It's my own interpretation, so it's probably a heresy, but I wonder. I really wonder if Jesus is just saying, be honest. Be absolutely raw and honest. 
God, I know you don't tempt me, but you're all-powerful. I know that you don't lead me astray because you wouldn't. But God, don't let me go there. God, don't put me in a place where I'm going to fail. God, protect me. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying. It's certainly what I've said. And I think Jesus would say, Amen. Don't lead us into temptation, Lord. Don't let us be tested beyond what we can bear. Please, God, I need help. Then the wrap-up of this wonderful prayer is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And you may be looking in your Bibles and saying, where's that? Probably in your modern translation, it doesn't exist. In the King James, it did. There's some manuscripts that have that, what they call a doxology at the end of it. Some manuscripts that don't. I think it's utterly consistent with the way Jesus thought about life and prayer. I don't think it's inappropriate to include it. And as a matter of fact, the tradition has included it for many, many years. You know what it does? It circles back around to the top. It's a bookend for the whole prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And at the end it says, for thine is the kingdom. And thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, I know who you are. I'm right in the middle of all of this. I'm between the beginning and the end. God, surround us with your presence because you are all-powerful and all-glorious. And we need to acknowledge it. We need to say it over and over again. Some of you, maybe a couple of you, might come on Sunday to hear a sermon. But even if there was not a sermon, you should be here to do that through music and through prayer. As a matter of fact, it ought to be your life. God, you're sovereign. You're all-knowing and all-powerful over everything. And I want to keep saying it to remind myself and my world. You're my final authority. There is no other court of appeal, God. I know that. I stand right beneath the authority of you and Almighty God. Do you notice how the psalmists do this? They compare God to things that are way beyond their comprehension, the vastness of the universe. And then they say, God takes care of all of it. The whole earth and all the universe is like water in His hands. He can measure it out. God, You're all glorious. The whole earth is filled with Your glory. That's how Jesus tells us to pray. You know what you can do with the prayer? can open up the prayer, and you can pray it, word for word, which we will do at the end. But you can also open up the prayer and look at the themes and say, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And just pause. Pause in the presence of a holy God. Praise Him for who He is.
and you can move to thy kingdom come. We pray that his kingdom will come tomorrow in your life with your family and your friends. And you can advance through the whole prayer praying in that way. It's our pattern for prayer, says Jesus. There's no limitations to this God. He is all wise and all powerful. So we can trust him. He's worthy of praise. So we ought to make it a habit. And he's our loving Heavenly Father. Ernest Hemingway was a wonderful author. He had a number of short stories. One of his short stories uh, took place in Madrid, Spain. The story was this. A young man named Paco, very common name in Spanish culture, had been estranged from his father, run away, and the story didn't tell us what the estrangement was all about. But what we know from the story is this father wanted desperately to reunite with his son. He traveled the world trying to find him, and then he came back to Madrid, sort of the center of the world. And he conceived of a plan. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an ad in the newspaper, the national newspaper right there in Madrid. And the ad simply said this. Paco, meet me at the hotel in Toya. All is forgiven. Papa. As the story goes, Hemingway said the father got up the next morning, went to the large square in Madrid, and was shocked to see a circle of police officers trying to keep a crowd under control because there were 800 young men whose name was Paco. In the person of Jesus Christ, God speaks to us and he says, my son, come to me. All is forgiven. I hope that is every person's story this morning. If it's not, I wish you'd allow me to introduce you to your Father, whose name is Hallowed, and whose kingdom can come as you follow him. Let's pray. Lord, you have been so gracious to us to even give us the ability to speak to you. You've been even more gracious than just offering us the opportunity to read said prayers. You've invited us in the Lord's Prayer to address you as we would our Father. Lord, you're our Father who is in heaven. You're above it all. You transcend all of time and space, and yet you enter time and space in the person of Jesus Christ, and you give us an example of relationship with God. So we say to you, Father, your name is Hallowed. You're above every name. 
There's nothing we can imagine that's greater than you. And yet, we're able to call you Father. And we know you're all wise and all powerful, so we want your kingdom to be right here in us. We want your will to be done through us, just like it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the daily bread you give us. And we're going to come to you day after day to ask for it again. And we're thankful, Lord, that you gave us a pattern to pray. And we pray that again right now as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.